0: Be on guard. That really is the charge that Paul is giving to Timothy in this section of 2 Timothy, that we are to be on guard, we are to be ready for whatever may happen, whatever is coming our way. And um, we are in a struggle today. I think all of us understand that. I had not heard about the article John this morning in Sunday school about the old Roberts University basketball team. I heard it from, I heard it from Albert Moeller. And uh, it's an amazing day in which we live where Christians can be called bigoted because we believe in God's Word, but that's basically what the article says. So, uh, and, you know, it's one of those situations where if uh, you follow God's Word, you're going to be more and more uh, tarred and feathered with that kind of a broom. or I don't know if you do it with a broom or not, with a stick or whatever you do it with. And uh, that's uh, the way the world we're living in more and more, and we have to be on guard, and that really is the theme that we have been looking at. It's why I chose this book for us, and the Holy Spirit led me this way, I'm sure, but uh, because of the fact that we have to be sure that we're not ashamed of the gospel. And it's a struggle today. It's a struggle for many individuals, Uh, not just for us, but it's a struggle for many individuals because again this is like no other time in history i think you could say that about every time couldn't you i don't think there's a day and age you could say what's well, like no other time in history because i'm well aware that uh-oh september no i think this is, see, this is march march 27th 28th whatever it is 28th i think it is will never ever happen again in my mind it may because i might get all mixed up and say the wrong thing again right I think it's the 28th, isn't it? Yeah, I'm in my bulletin. March 28th, uh, 2021. Never happen again. This moment will never happen again. This time you're living in will never happen again. And so, you know, it's something that is true for all of us. And when it comes to truth and it comes to the gospel, we are in a a time where it is like no other. It is becoming more and more of an adventure, to even name the name of Christ in our world today. And... Many times we are finding that Christians seem to have difficulty even understanding what's going on or understanding what God has said. And the reason is because it would appear today, and again I'm speaking generally of the church, that we are spiritually malnourished. We are spiritually not nourished the way we should be. That is the responsibility of every individual to... To nourish themselves with God's word. It's the the responsibility of the church and the family to nourish one another in the things of Christ. Somebody has said it's like the warning light is going on on your car, but it's on the church. And lots of folks ignore it. Uh, I don't know. I like to take a survey sometimes and see how many people ignore their warning lights. Probably 95%, right? You can either ignore your warning light. Or you can take it to the garage and get it fixed and find out that your gas cap wasn't on tight enough, right? You know what happened to you? And you know, it's one of those situations where we can react to different things in different ways. But uh, the warning light is on. And I think it's on like probably no other time in history for us. And Paul is encouraging Timothy. Remember, he talked about stirring up the gift. You have to stir up the fire. Uh, Don't be ashamed. That's been the theme that he's talked about in all of chapter 1. He repeated that at least two times, maybe three. The idea of being ashamed of the gospel and not being ashamed of him, the character, the carrier of the gospel either. But you know, it's uh, one of those situations where he's telling him, now Timothy, lots of people have deserted. Lots of people have been ashamed. They said, Paul, it's just not worth it. Uh, you are a liability to be around. And he was a liability to be around, by the way. And they didn't want to have that liability in their life. And so they've sort of drifted off into some other area. And, you know, we need this exhortation because, you know, the old basketball slogan, it's always too soon to quit. Don't you love those cliches they used to tell you in the locker room? It's always too soon to quit, you know, and that's the way it is. And Timothy, the thing that I notice about Timothy is, it's the investment that God had made in him. And then I've got to carry that over to us. It's the investment that God made in you. And you know what that investment was, don't you? That was the blood of his precious son. That's the greatest investment in all the world. And so, Timothy, he has invested that in your life. And so we must be ones who understand that, and we must function that way. And we're in a war. Now, this passage is going to talk about that. Be on guard. We're in a war today. And this war can only be won by hard work and dedication. I love this quote. Men do not become battle ready by hearing stories of victory, but by sacrifice. That's so true? Men do not become ready to fight in a war because of battle stories they listen to. It's because of sacrifices they have to make. And the same thing is true for us. You can hear about the victories that have been won, <clears throat> and they've been many. And it's grand. But really, the battle is going to come down to some sacrifice and us sacrificing much for Him. And so we are to guard the gospel, the trust, the deposit. All those words have been used for us, haven't they, in this section? And it becomes ours to guard, it becomes ours to pass on. And we'll see that this morning as we look at this. The proposition, the process, and the persistence. Father, Encourage us this morning as we <clears throat> spend our moments looking at your word. Encourage us to be individuals that are always <clears throat> guarding the trust <clears throat> that you have given to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> the proposition starts in verse 1 <clears throat> and then it has two parts to it. And it really is the command that now will be the main part of the entire uh, paragraph or section that we want to look at this morning and it starts off again with a command you know paul has given a number of commands in this book Uh, we could look at those things and he's told timothy you know these are things i expect you to do and notice he says the same thing here but he starts it off with some tenderness doesn't he thou thou is emphatic thou therefore He is saying, this is something that is very, very unique to you, Timothy. This is something that I want you to grab a hold of. This is something I want you to really assimilate into your being. Thou therefore, now we've got to think about that word, don't we? What's the therefore? The gift God has given to him, the faith that was in his mother and grandmother, Saul and Paul, the He's persuaded, his commission, all these things are involved in chapter 1. Those who've turned away, the one who's been faithful, what an encouragement. Thou therefore, my son. Don't you just sort of feel an arm wrapped around the back of Timothy? I know he's in prison and it can't happen literally. But just sort of wrapping his arm around him and drawing him close and saying, Timothy, my son. Timothy, there's some things that you've got to know. There's some tenderness here, isn't there? It's a tough time, but you can really feel the heart of the Apostle Paul as he says, my son. And then he says, be strong. I want you to be strong. Now this is a passive voice, which means that you cannot do it in your own self. And it's also an active voice, which means that it's a continuous action situation. So he says, Timothy, you are to be strong, but you cannot, remember this from last Sunday, you cannot be strong in your own self, and the tense of the whole situation is talking about this, but you must be strong in the Lord. It's important. It's important for us to see that our strength, again, I don't want to repeat myself too much, you get tired of hearing me, probably already are, but you'll get tired of hearing me even more, You know, it's not gendered up from us. But it's something that God gives to us. Isn't that a great encouragement to you today? Isn't that a great encouragement to Carolyn this morning? This is not something that we have just within us, but it's something that God gives to us. I look around this congregation, I know there's been a lot of pain, a lot of lives in this church. And yet God strengthened you, didn't he? Encouraged you. I'm so glad we have a God who is able to encourage us and be an encouragement to us. So he says, Timothy, my son, be strong. And you know, we need to be strong because I was studying about this and being strong means that you are ready. It means that you know the outcome. And of course, we all heard this before, you know we do know that we win in the end with Jesus Christ. Great truth. Never want, to, never want to devalue that, but we do win. But you know, we have to be prepared for the battle that we're in. We have to be strong. One of my commentaries was quoting a Romanian pastor back during the days of communism. And he purposely made this point where he was talking to some of his children and he says, you know, the... The communists really, I'm going to just summarize it for you, really want to break us as Christians. And he says the problem is if I betray those around me, there'll be 50 or 60 other believers who will end up in the jail with me, because he was going to be jailed for not telling on his fellow Christians. And um, he says when he was a boy, he remembers his confirmation class, and he says they took him to a, to a zoo, there was 10 or 15 of them in this confirmation class, this is Romanian, And he says that um, somebody told them that, you know, their their forefathers were in these cages like these lions. I better not make a political comment. I guess that could even be true of people today, too, couldn't it? But, you know, these Christians were in, in cages like lions. And he says, you know, they could be thrown to the lions at any moment. Our forefathers could have been. And he says, you know, he says, you're going to decide right here at this young age whether you're going to follow Christ or whether you're not going to follow Christ. And he says, it's the preparation that you make now will have the result in the end. And you know, that's true. We don't just all of a sudden decide we're going to sacrifice for Christ. We don't just all of a sudden decide, well, we're going to turn this leaf over. No, it becomes the the fruit of a life of faithfulness. You need to decide at an early age. You know, for some of us, that's kind of late, but I trust you've already decided that... uh, we're going to follow Christ, no matter what may happen. He says, you make the preparation now. And it's so true. I think we make the preparation now, before you're imprisoned, Because in prison, he says, you lose everything. Look at this picture. You're undressed and given a prisoner suit. No more nice furniture, nice carpets or nice curtains. No more nice, or you don't have a wife anymore, you don't have children anymore. You don't have your library. You'll never see a flower. Nothing of what makes this earth earth pleasant remains. Nobody resists who has not renounced the pleasures of life beforehand. And that was stinging to me. He says, if you have not renounced the pleasures of life now, you'll not do it when the time comes when somebody's forcing you to do so. Absolutely true. Because the way we're living our lives now will reflect on what's going to be whenever the difficult times come. And again, I'm not the prophet or the son of a prophet, but I think we all realize that these times are coming. So the charge is to be strong, be strong. We need to understand that we're going to see Christ return triumphantly one day and set these things right. Revelation, right? Chapter 19 and 20. Blessed, glorious day that's going to be, but that's in the future. I've got to live today, and you do too. And so this is the object, first of all, I've got to tell you, this is the object of this, prep, this proposition, is the fact that we've got to be strong. What's the source? Where does this source come from? i already alluded to it. Last part of verse 1, strong, where? Prepositional phrase, in the grace. And where does this grace come from? That is in Christ Jesus mentioned it earlier. We have a passive word here talking about being strong because our grace and our strength come from Jesus Christ. Without Him, I could do nothing. Remember that song? Without Him, I'd surely fail. Without Him, I would be drifting as a ship without a sail. I don't know who wrote that song, but you know, that's sort of the idea. I've got to have Him constantly in my life. He's got to be the one who I am looking to for my strength. I must draw my strength from him. I must draw my sustenance from him. I must draw my nourishment from him. John chapter 15, the vine and the branches. We are connected to the vine. We are the branches. And as we connect to him, we draw our strength from that vine that you and I are part of. So, You and I need Christ constantly. He saved us, thank goodness. But more than just saving us, we need Him for daily growth and daily guidance. And again, we don't need more of Christ. He needs more of us. As we surrender ourselves to Him. Timothy, much has been invested. People could say the same thing to you this morning. Much has been invested because He invested the blood of His Son in you. And we must be ones who stand strong. Now, that's the proposition. What's the process? How are we going to do this? Verse 2 tells us how this happens because of two things in verse 2. He says, And the things which thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. What's the process? First of all, there is a learning process. See that in the first part of verse 2. And the things. Now that instantly gets my attention, doesn't it, yours? The things. I mean, I've got to define that before I can go on. Has to be this understanding of the trust. Remember that? The deposit that we had all the way back in verse 12 and other verses in chapter 1. The gospel. This is what has been entrusted to us. He says, The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. A teacher has to learn. Now, here is a great statement. A teacher has to learn before he can teach. Isn't that phenomenal? But it's true. I've been around some people who teach thought they could teach, but I'm not sure they ever learn anything. Have you ever been around those kind of folks? Sure you have, sometime in your life. There has to be some kind of a learning process that goes on. There has to be some kind of a core of truth that is passed on. How would you like to go to a medical doctor who just decided yesterday he's going to be a medical doctor and read one book about it, read your digest version, and he starts operating on you. You wouldn't want that. And yet, so many times we do the same thing spiritually. If you're going to teach, you've got to learn. I feel there's some people who've never learned anything in their life. No, that's not a blanket statement. Because they know everything. (laughs) You know, if you know it all, you don't need to learn anything. Paul says, you know, the things that you learn, what have you learned? Here's the real question. What's God taught you? How's God taught you? How's he teaching you? Maybe that's even better. What kind of lessons did God teach you this week? It says, the things you've learned and notice of me, very personal, because Timothy and Paul had a great relationship. Their hearts were bound together. They were knit together in the gospel. Journey after journey they went on. Exercise after exercise. Tragedy after tragedy. He said, Timothy, you watched my life. You saw how I reacted to those situations. Timothy, you were there whenever I was stoned at Lister, at least we think he was. You were there during some very significant times. He says, you learned some things. That also, it was among many witnesses. So it wasn't something that was just private, but Paul was this way when it came, when it came to understanding many different things. Paul was a good student. Timothy, you have to be a good student. You have to learn everything you can. You have to apply everything you you learn. And again, the old phrase to me that just keeps coming back is, you know, the more I learn, the dumber I realize I am. And I think that's true for all of us. Because there's so much that needs to be learned about God. So, the first question I would ask you here, are you a learner? What are you learning today? What's God teaching you? What has He opened your heart and mind to, especially both? emotion and will and intellect so that you could gather from His Word that would somehow understand what He's about. So there's a learning process. But then also, secondly, this should apply to a teaching process. He says, The same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The same commit. Here's our word again. A deposit. A trust something that is valuable, something that is involved in safekeeping, something that has been passed down from generation to generation. My daughter, Krista, received her grandmother's diamond ring that my grandfather gave to her whenever they were engaged all those many years ago. And she still wears it. We had Regal put it in a different kind of setting. Of course, thank you, Tim, appreciate that. In a different kind of setting... But you know, that's something special to my family that this would be true. So that's sort of what a deposit is. That's sort of a trust. It's something that's, that's very special to you. And the gospel has to be something that's very, very special to us. Why? Because it saved you. You would not be saved in the gospel. You would have no answers. And so he says, Timothy, you have been, this is committed, the same commit thou to, he's talking about a church, Faithful men? Who should lead churches? Men? They should be involved in the leadership of a church. Every church needs individuals who will step up and take that leadership responsibility. So he says, Timothy, it is your job to commit to faithful men, and these men must be faithful. Isn't it amazing? How many churches think? Well, you know, we'll put somebody on a board, or we'll give them some position that'll make them faithful. Never works. Never works. Because the kind of commitment—take the right word—the kind of commitment that we have, and how we handle the things that we have before us, is a very, uh, very important determiner of what we're going to do in the future. God's word is replete with this. If you are not faithful in the small things, why would He make you faithful? Why would He give you more things to do? It's a pattern that we live in. And we find that we have to be sure that we don't just give it to somebody, well, you know, it's going to happen. No. There has to be a faithfulness involved in that life. And He says here that you must commit this to faithful men. Men, and the adjective here means they have proven themselves to be faithful an important word. It means that they are willing. And God has worked in their heart. Why? Because they're going to be able to teach others also. There's going to be a pattern to this. I know you remember the the Olympics in I think it was 1986 or something when they when we had those, those uh, two teams, men and women, who were going to win that thing. And, and uh, I mean, they were shoe in to win it. And remember, both teams dropped the baton. Remember that? Even though they were the finest athletes. I don't know if it was 86 or not. It was back a while ago. Finest athletes. And they're supposed to win this race. But both the men and the women's track team dropped the baton. And we didn't win. What? Well, That's what's going on here. You know, we are to give it to other people. It's a baton that we are passing on. And he says that it's important for us to commit this to faithful men. And we must communicate our convictions, God's Word, to the next generation. And, let's say it again, we must not be ashamed of what God has done for us. And we are living in a day and age where individuals want you to be ashamed of the fact you believe in traditional marriage, of the fact that you believe marriage is, is for a man and woman for a lifetime, that abortion is wrong. We are looked upon as some kind of freakish, alien beings from some outer space planet no, this is the core beliefs that our world has been built upon for generations. We are not outside the mainstream. We are the mainstream. Well, I don't know if we can say that enough, but the core belief is the mainstream, okay? Let's put it that way. I get myself in trouble the other way. Everybody don't believe this anymore. But this is the message that's been passed down, and we've got to be sure we're passing it down. The the purity, the integrity of God's Word. A church is as strong as its teaching. A school is as strong as its teaching. An institution is as strong as its teaching. And what's being handed down from generation to generation. And we're seeing this. We're seeing the erosion of just plain old proper respect to authority in any, in any sense in any way so the process Timothy hand it down you watched me live this way you watched how God worked in my life you were faithful Timothy now you've got to hand it down to the next generation who will hand it down to the next generation and it keeps going until it finally came to us. The same gospel that Paul preached is the gospel we preach. We cannot add to it, can we? Or take away from it. Persistence, though, is the last word, the proposition and the, and the process, but the persistence, and now he uses some illustrations. Some people use verse 2 as an illustration, but I think it's talking about the teacher. I think, it, I think verses 3 through 7 really have a threefold example of how difficult this is going to be. And I really think the word word that sets the stage for verses 3 through 7, especially 3 through 6, is that thou therefore endure hardness. I think that becomes the key phrase in this section. Uh, Because we have this responsibility to hand down the word of God from generation to generation. He says, because of this, he says, we must now endure hardness. There's going to be some hard times because of that. And we must be individuals that understand these hard times that are going to come our way. It means it's going to be difficult. Three examples. The first example is of a soldier. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we see, first of all, this soldier. No man, we'll see three things about this soldier. No man that warreth entangled himself with the affairs of this world, that he may please him who chose him to be a soldier. Soldier. Now, Paul was chained to a lot of soldiers. (laughs) If there was one thing that Paul knew, it would be the military, right? Because every time he turned around, he had a chain to him, to some soldier. He saw some situation going on around him. He was in prison a lot of the time. So he understood soldiers. And now he's going to talk about the soldier. And he says, a soldier, certain things must happen when it comes to being a soldier. One is you've got to endure hardships. Now, that's going to be true for all three, but especially for the soldier. He says, it is not a nine-to-five job that a soldier has. Could you imagine our military being involved in, in one of the great battles, say, uh, midway, and, and they start, they punch the clock in at nine o'clock, and then they decide to take off their planes, and it's getting close to five o'clock, so everybody gets back to the carrier before the, before the time's over for the day. It wouldn't work that way, would it? No, you know, it's a, all the time. You've got to be on the alert. And that's true of a soldier. It's not an easy job, and it's not easy in a battle. And sometimes, you know, we may glorify these things, but we all see that there's many hardnesses that have to be endured, not just in the actual fighting, but in the actual life of a soldier. Now, I, was, I think I was reading something the other day, and only one-third of the soldiers in the Civil War were killed in battle. Two-thirds died by disease. Think about that. And so it wasn't just the actual battle that took place. It was the whole process. You know, it's a hardness of leaving what you know and going and doing something. So the first thing is, he has to endure hardships. But then secondly, he says, No man that warth entangled himself with the affairs of this world. He doesn't get tangled up with everyday life. Uh, he's cared for. Whenever somebody signs up for the military, and I've never been in the military, but they tell me these things, you know, I guess they still do this stuff. You know, the first thing they do is take your hair off, give you a uniform to wear. All of you look the same. I'm not sure they're allowed to do that anymore, but I would hope so. You know, there's sort of a camaraderie that the, this parts in this. But then, you know, if that soldier has a tooth problem, he doesn't have to go to the dentist in town to take care of that tooth problem, I wouldn't think. Somebody will take care of it for him, right? Because his job is to fight the battle. And when he gets sick, they're going to send somebody to take care of him because he's got to get healthy to be able to do the job that, God, that he has, that the commander asked him to do. And so he's cared for. Think about the truth of that for us. If you're a soldier in the fight for Jesus Christ, you're cared for. I only address this once, but he takes care of you. He takes care of us in a marvelous way. He gives us strength. He gives us guidance we need and so a soldier is one who is cared for in every way and God takes care for us but he must lay aside if he's going to do this the affairs of this life he must lay aside Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 while you had that verse for the devotions this week he has to lay aside the weights and the sin which does so easily beset him when a soldier's out there in battle, he's not carrying his couch with him and his lounge chair. No, he's got the things that he needs. And that's the same thing with us. Everything that's going to hinder us from the job that God has for us to do, we get rid of. We're not concerned about anything except what the battle actually is involved with. And so the affairs of this world have a tendency to fall off because we realize what an important thing it is to serve The master. Third thing that he does is he may please him that chose him to be a soldier. The commander is the one who is to be pleased. Said one day that General Robert E. Lee said to Stonewall Jackson, or he sent a messenger to Stonewall Jackson, he said, uh, uh, Mr. Jackson, or General Jackson, he says, I'd like to see you at your first convenience. And here it was an evening, it was raining and pouring of rain. So as soon as the messenger got to Jackson's tent, Jackson put his coat on and got his horse right in the rain and came to see Robert E. Lee. And he said, well, it wasn't that important of an issue. He says, yes, when my commander tells me something, I respond immediately. You know, that's the way it should be. We need to please our master. And when our master speaks, everybody in the Bible who served God and pleased God rose immediately and did something. Mary... Joseph, Manoah. I'm reading this morning about Gideon's parents. Rose immediately and did what they're supposed to do. We are to to please our master because one day, we'll stand before him, won't we? One day we're going to be before God Almighty. He's our master. He's the one that we must please. Not the hierarchy of the church, not some external bishop not some uh, foreign entity, we must please the master. Not ourselves, but the master. And so when one is a soldier, he's cared for in every area, but he has to please the commander. He has to be sure he's taking orders and doing what God tells him, or in our situation, God tells him to do. That's what a person in the army does. about the athlete? Verse 5, if any man strive for the mastery, yet is he not crowned except he strive lawfully. Now there's still the idea of discipline involved. And so if you're going to be involved in any kind of an athletic contest, you have to discipline yourself for certain things. And determination and self-discipline is much more important than talent or all kinds of other things. When he talks about athletics, he's talking about the person who is dedicated to the task and is persistent. Remember the tortoise and the hare? You remember that from when you were a little kid? The hare jumped out for the lead, and the tortoise just went along, kind of slow. And as the hare is taking his nap, the tortoise just walks by the finish line, doesn't it? It's persistence, it's self-discipline that makes the difference. <clears throat> and he says, when it comes to the mastery or athletics, you have, to, you have to discipline yourself in certain areas. And also, you've got to do it lawfully. He has to strive lawfully. And in the, basically the, the games that they would play in the ancient world, the Olympics and the Isthmus games that would take place in Corinth, they were very, very precise about being a citizen. They were very, very precise about keeping the rules and judging things. And so when he talks about this, everybody will understand exactly what he's talking about. We've got to play by the rules we can't be controlled by our emotions we've got to be controlled by god's word an athlete it's not how he feels well, i guess maybe sometimes it is if he wants to quit he just quits but he should be dedicated to the task that's why paul is so concerned that god would not use him i give you also the 1 corinthians 9 24 through 27 passage. That old piece of equipment, that old castaway, that's sitting there in the field not being used. He says Paul is so concerned that he's he's not going to be usable by God. And that's the same thing here that it says, you know, when you're doing this, you need to strive lawfully so that you can be effective for God. We can mess up. We can mess our lives up. We talked about this yesterday. it's so easy to to mess up and and, and and then be rendered ineffective. Some of the decisions that we make, some of the issues that we do not face head on, and then we're ineffective for God. You know, we have to follow His will. We have to follow what He says in His book. It's important for us to understand that He's the one who controls everything about us. He controls our affections, our emotions, our priorities. It's his will, not our will, that must be involved. So he says, the persistence of a soldier, do endure hardness, of an athlete, endure hardness. And the last one he uses is a farmer. The husbandman that laboreth must first partake of the fruits. If there's one key word that it, comes to, and I'm, you know, I'm out of my league, but I'm to talk about it anyway. I'm, I'm a gardener, not a farmer, but anyway. If there's one key word that comes to your mind when it comes to crops is patience, right? It does not happen overnight. Patience. And a farmer must always be patient. And the issue is that when it comes to the doing of your crops, you've got to do it when the time is right. Uh, Whenever the tomato is ripe, you've got to pick it. It doesn't wait for you. If you don't get it picked, what happens to it? It spoils. It's got its own time where these things must happen. And when the weeds come, you've got to weed them. They don't somehow just magically disappear. It's the time when things have to happen. But it's also a, you have to be a very patient person because it doesn't happen overnight. I think that's what he says here to Timothy also is, you know, you're going to have to work different hours, maybe long hours, but in order to see some results, you have to be patient. Sometimes God's Word takes patience. It may not happen all at once. It may not happen instantly. It may take time for God's Word to work. I read Wednesday night and also yesterday morning about about the nudges that God gives to us from Oswald Chambers and then the other times He sends tragedy into our lives. Sometimes He uses a nudge and if we don't respond, He has to use a tragedy. And then our response to that is how we're going to live for Him. And it's just a great blessing to see God work in the life of a person, isn't it? It's a great blessing to see God working in in somebody's heart and maneuvering that heart. And, you know, when I read about Paul, I read about somebody who understood the priorities. He says, Timothy says, this is all about the gospel. You know, what really upsets us today? I was reading about this, and somebody was talking about, you know, I'll be really upset about souls that are going to hell today. Richard gave us this yesterday. I'll read it to you. He says, what disturbs you most, a soul lost in hell or a scratch on your new car? Well, that's a good one to think about, isn't it? You missing the worship service or missing a day's work? I love this one. A sermon ten minutes too long, or lunch a half hour late. Your Bible unopened, or your newspaper unread. Missing a good Bible study, or missing your favorite TV program. The millions who do not know Christ, or your inability to keep up with your neighbors. Another one, too. Your ties decreasing, or your income increasing. You know, all those things are things that should cause us to think. What does disturb my soul today? It may be difficult, <clears throat> but the Lord is going to take His time and He's going to do His work. We must not take His word lightly. We must allow <clears throat> His words to lodge in our hearts. Right, Verse 7, Consider what I say, the Lord will give the understanding in all things. That's what we should pray for. That we'll have understanding <clears throat> of everything that God wants. That we allow ourselves to be hard and, to endure, and to, I mean, not to be hard, but to endure hardness, as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And we need to be individuals that understand that we have to take a stand sometimes. Remember, wouldn't you love to be one of those three hundred that was in Gideon's army with hundred? I think it was one hundred and eighty-five thousand. the number's right. And uh, somebody worked the odds out. That's like a one out of one to one would it be. Over a hundred, I'm sure. Maybe more than that. Wouldn't you love to be one of those soldiers? Wouldn't you love to be one of those who was standing there that day? I mean, you're already brave because of the first qualification of doing that. But then standing there before that entire group and standing firm with God during those days. Or would many times Christians are more like uh, the tribe of Ephraim. Charles Swindoll talks about this in Psalm 78 verse 9. Where he talks about, it says the sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows, yet they turned back in the day of battle. He goes on. He talks about how Ephraim was, boy, they paraded nice, and their uniforms all looked sharp. They had the best equipment going, and they had everything going for them. But when the day of battle came, they turned their backs and ran away. He says they like foxes hunted by hounds, or the sound of battle made them nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Well, that's a good picture for you, isn't it? But the only defense that the tribe of Ephraim gave was the cloud of dust they kicked up as they were running away from the battle. The guys had to walk their way through it. How many Christians you know that are that way? It says, they look so good. Their uniforms look so good. They even had a big E stamped on their undershirts for E company, for Ephraim. But there was a soft underbelly. The fastest maneuver they ever accomplished was waving the white flag. I trust that will never be us. And that the fastest job we ever do is wave the white flag, surrender. And the only defense that we put up is the dust that we kick up from running away from the battle. Be hard, be strong. That's the charge, isn't it? Verse 1. Timothy, be strong. Because, Timothy, you've got to understand what's important. You've got to understand what's significant in life. And the day we live today is one that has a hard time understanding what's important. I have a book back in my study written by Erdwood Lutzer. It's called, I think it's either one minute or five minutes after you die. And there was a quote that somebody said to me. One minute after you die you will not care about any of the pleasures of this earth. Of course you can't help think about Norm, right? One minute after you die you will not be concerned about any of the pleasures of this earth. It'll be over. Now I thought about that to myself. I thought, that's so true. Just one minute. I'm not even sure it'll take a minute, to be frank with you. And yet the things that we have been ashamed of, we've turned our back on, we say, oh we can't be we can't be looked upon as some kind of funny fundamentalist. Well at that time be very important. The things that We think we're not important, are important. And all these things that we've labored for, given so much for, one minute after you die, it doesn't make any difference at all. Not one, not even one smidgen of difference. You ain't even thinking about it. And yet we put so much trust, so much time, so much effort. Of course, you got to be saved. That's the important part, knowing Christ, allowing Him to strengthen you. It's not your own fortitude. We depend upon His power as we work in our world today and do the things He wants us to do. Father, I just thank You for...